0: It's a privilege to be here, and I certainly wish to thank the Department of Antiquities uh, and the Jordan Museum and the uh, organizers, the other organizers of this uh, meeting, who have brought us all together uh, to discuss this issue of heritage presentation and preservation. Uh, And in fact, my uh, task is a little bit different from the other papers so far in that I um, am going to be talking about the site of Gerash, which is a well-known tourist site, and how to deal with um, the heritage of one part of one site that already has a very high profile as far as Roman period, uh, early uh, uh, Byzantine period remains are concerned. How do you raise the profile of another period that people have denied really existed at Jerash, which is the Islamic period. How you go about doing that and the problems that you face in, in trying to raise the profile of what I believe, and I hope some of you at least be, be, uh, believe, is a, a very important period in Jordan's history. So I want to talk a little bit about what we've done and um, how that has uh, gone how the work has uh, progressed. Um, uh, And I think most of you probably now know um, that the Friday Mosque, or the Congregational Mosque at Jerash, was first identified in 2002. Uh, uh, And although it's uh, been suspected that there was a mosque at Jerash since about the 1980s, that's when a few of us started to talk about, could there be a large Umayyad period mosque? located at um, Jerash. So why did it take so long for us to um, to take this question seriously, and why did it take so long for us to actually locate it? And here we have a map uh, of Jerash, and I don't need to explain that. Um, There's the location of the mosque, and here's a closer view of that area there as you can see with the mosque and related buildings, uh, the souk area, the market area, um, uh, which dates uh, from the uh, um, Umayyad period uh, and goes on for hundreds of years after the uh, Umayyad period, as well um, as far as occupation is concerned. So we have quite a, a major um, example of Islamic heritage uh, at Jerash. Although, uh, here's a general view of the uh, site relatively recently. Um, uh, when the work this is, um, uh, was uh, taking place. This is 2012 uh, when, when the, much of the mosque area which you can see here has been excavated. This ramp has now been uh, removed and you can see the mosque has laneways along the south side and on the western side and then the, the existing streets um, on the north and uh, eastern sides. And it was probably uh, uh, built un- uh, during the reign of Hisham, uh, uh, Ibn Abdul Malik, and its history is very complex. And in fact, this one mosque is in reality three mosques, uh, all built with the same uh, original structure and being altered and changed inside that uh, um, original structure i'm not going to talk about the history of the mosque i'm going to talk about the heritage issues associated with finding and explaining this mosque but you will note there are three mihrabs shall we say along the qibla wall the south wall there and they are not operating or being used uh, at the same time they are in fact the clearest represent, representation of three different uh, mosques uh, in one so to uh, so to speak there's this one here, this one here, and a small one there. Okay, right next to the, this is the large central uh, admired one. We'll see a little more detail about that. So this mosque did take a little while uh, to find, and to understand how that happened, how this heritage was not even thought to be possible, we need to go back to some of the earliest excavations that took place in the 1920s. Uh, and this was the combined Yale University mission uh, to Jerash, late 1920s, early 1930s, until the Great Depression got in the way. And we can call this um, heritage history, misconception, misrepresentation. But I must, although I might sound a little critical already, I must actually compliment Yale upon their archive the most famously known for the Archive of Jura Europus, but the Archive of Jarash is also very good indeed. And every project should, having, should have a Yale style of, of archiving. It's what they've got, what they've managed to collect, uh, is accessible and you're allowed to copy it and use it as long as you give them acknowledgement. So that's my acknowledgement to Yale. Uh, now, um, here we have an aerial photograph of that Uh, period and you can see here the outline of the mosque which was partially actually excavated um, by Yale. Here's one of their photographs from the um, archive. You can look across uh, the um, what people call the Cardo, the Axial Main Street. May I mention at this stage this is where you drove your vehicle in and then there was a roundabout the, uh, (laughs) yes, and then you could drive out, you see, It couldn't go up to Urbit, but uh, anyway, you could get into the middle of the site, get out, walk around, get back, and off you would uh, go. And this is described, you know, that's, that's the. and here it is, beautifully laid out. And this is the mosque area located there. This is the area of the Mark Callum uh, excavations. Uh, these photographs are all very valuable because they show features missing, such as an important wall on, on, on the uh, eastern side of the mosque there. Um, They excavated the uh, area of what's called the South Tetrapylon or Tetraconia area. Um, It was uh, reasonably good uh, excavations, uh, but the um, notebook kept by the person in charge is excellent because everything they removed off the paving, which was of later date, so that's the early Islamic period, he actually drew. Um, And we've been able from that to actually reconstruct what the marketplace looked like in this area in the early Islamic period, which was associated with the mosque. They also excavated just a corner of the mosque, and this is where they, in Kraling, they go a little bit wrong. They mention that this um, is a uh, early Arab fort, and that betrays a mindset of the time that the Islamic conquest was a true conquest of military armies coming up, conquering the people, mostly Christians, uh, and then the only way they could control it, as the mindset would go, would be you would have to build a fort in the middle of the city. In actual fact, what they had found was the mosque, and the tower in the corner was the minaret. But that was their interpretation. And this is how the heritage of this mosque got lost um, up until uh, the, uh, 2002. This is the excavation showing where the minaret is. Uh, What they saw was a tower, which is a later addition to the mosque in the Abbasid period. Um, And here we can see some of the masonry of later structures, also Abbasid, probably into early Fatimid period, located there. We'll see this picture again, because you can see the architecture standing fairly high, right? Um, And there's a, I can't see very well, about here, there's a column base with uh, some guy's clothing on it, Um, we'll come back to that. That was the arcades on the courtyard of the mosque. Um, And you'll see how uh, in modern times, this area is very degraded of architecture. So um, it was written off in some ways. No one was interested in this fort. uh, And it got lost, effectively. Uh, And this is a photograph that I got from Ina Kerberg, taken in the early 1980s at the start of the Jarash Festival, and you can see there's a lot of activity taking place over the top of the mosque, which involves uh, constructing pathways and uh, leveling the area out. A lot of material was dumped there from other excavations, uh, and swale sand was laid down in order to make a nice surface um, for putting up tent structures for the Jarash uh, Festival in the, the beginning of the Jerash festival in the 1980s, that further disguised the existence of the mosque. And in fact, um, pity the poor student archaeologists who had to excavate all of the overburden. These are the layers of the mosque, and this is all the overburden from the dumping and so forth that took place. They learned very carefully how to keep locust sheets, how to write labels for the pottery that was collected, and so forth. Um, knowing, of course, we we were knowing that they couldn't do any serious damage at all to the um, archaeology. But it was a big problem. This had to all be removed by hand because it had been dumped between existing um, architecture and we just couldn't bring in some machinery to take it away. Um, So what changed? One important thing that changed attitudes in the 1980s was, in fact, the Jerash Archaeological Project that was initiated by the Department of Antiquities. Because this encouraged the missions that worked there and our Jordanian colleagues, that we had to start to rethink Jerash. What is actually Jerash? Is it just Roman? Is Is it just early Christian? Or does it have a more complex and nuanced history? which actually is not a Roman history, but is much more an Arab history. In the Roman period, but an Arab history. Uh, And one of the important excavations was the work undertaken by the Polish team at the so-called Amayad House. I won't go into details. I don't believe this is a house, but it doesn't matter. For the purposes of this talk, uh, what they identified there were major phases, a significant development in the Amayad period. Um, and then uh, uh, after the mid-8th century earthquake, redevelopment of the area with um, good levels going well into the Abbasid period as well. Now, if you get that sort of thing happening at one site, <clears throat> it must be happening at the other parts of the uh, site as well. Um, so, uh, the other work that took place just before that was Baguti, who worked in this area over here by the um, Oval uh, Piazza, who also um, came across uh, early Islamic material as well. So sort of this started to change thought about what could be happening at Jerush, um at this time. At the same time in the 1980s, scholarship was taking place that began to rethink what happened in the towns of Bilal sham in the early Islamic period. They weren't all abandoned or left to ruin, but there was a continuing life, economic and political and social life in the towns and religious life. And how should we characterize that? Not through terms of decline, but we had to explain change. And that was part of this continuity in change idea that came into place. And one thing that really worked for Jerash was the fact that um, coins minted uh, at Jerash were first recognized in a style that one would expect from the Jund, Jundaludun, in which Jerash was located. Um, so it belonged to a community of, um, of, of uh, towns in that jund, uh, and the coins were of the same style with the name of Jerash on them, pre-Islamic and uh, post, uh, uh, pre-reform, I should say, sorry, pre-reform and post-reform style of uh, early Islamic coinage. Now, we've got coinage, you've got an administration, an Islamic administration, so you must have a mosque. That was my rationing, Uh, and um, it was important, therefore, in my mind, to go and find uh, this mosque. And in all of this um, uh, greater understanding about early Islamic urbanism, uh, we have the site of Anjar in Lebanon, which tells us what an early Islamic town should look like in, in a physical form. And one thing that is very clear at Anjar is the mosque is somewhere in the middle. You have palaces and major administrative buildings as well as the residential quarters. So then I thought, okay, if it's at the crossroads here, why isn't it at the crossroads in Jerash? And that's how the site uh, became identified. And I must confess that the person who really gave me the important reality check, in other words, had I completely gone mad or could this be true, was Ghazi Bishay. And in long discussions with Ghazi, he said, that's what I've been thinking for a while, too. So uh, that was the sort of mood that resulted in this this sort of um, denial of Jerash's heritage being overcome, and we could actually start to identify uh, Islamic settlement on a significant scale um, in Jerash. And so it was going back to this Yale uh, photograph, seeing this rectangle um, at an angle to the original uh, uh, grid that made me think, who would build something out of grid unless they had another reason for pointing it in a different direction? And that reason was the Qibla. And so um, Jerish had been rethought, and it was all just a matter of going and doing um, the excavations. Uh, which we began in 2002, and and you know about this now, the the mosque, uh, courtyard standard, Arab-style courtyard mosque. We don't actually know the origin of the mosque now that the idea of the House of the Prophet has been um, largely done away with, uh, with the prayer hall located here. Here you can see the souk area, and this now we can reconstruct over the whole area of the plaza from the old photographs and drawings from the Yale um, archive. It continues uh, down here. I mostly want to look at the mosque itself. Uh, The first thing um, I had to find in 2002 was the mihrab, the main mihrab, and that was not difficult because all these mosques are quite straightforward. This corner corner was showing, this corner was where the Yale excavations were, um, were showing, I could then, uh, this front wall or entrance wall of the mosque was showing from the Yale clearance work. And so I knew where the corner was, draw an axial line, you'll get the mihrab, there it was. So it was very straightforward indeed, not difficult. Um, And underneath it, we had to see what was there and we found a late Roman period bathhouse. So the site was chosen not for any reason of holiness or sacredness, It was chosen for practicalities and the fact that this was the commercial heart of Jerash and where the mosque uh, should be located. So, uh, you know, I do argue that sometimes people have to get away from this idea that in the early Islamic period, somehow it always has to be associated with a church or even be a converted church. This doesn't necessarily follow at all. There are other reasons um, for... uh, um, why a, mo- a mosque is located in a particular part of a town. Um, and so here we can see the photographs. Yes, I'm running out of time. Thank you. One minute okay. Let's, uh, let's have a look. Um, what I do want to show is how this, you remember this photograph here of the walling of later structures. And you can see here all of that stuff has gone. All of that architecture has gone between when it was excavated by Yale and in 2002. Where? Who knows? Um, and then the, the, this is EA. Okay, I'm going to go through this. This is just to prove that we have Abbasid periods and later into early mid period, including glazed wares and so forth. And then I want to say a little bit about um, the restoration or consolidation work that we have done on the walls. You can see there. Uh, We used, this is maybe the first time at Jerash, no cement. Um, We've used uh, conventional uh, packing for the walls, which is terra rossa with stones, and you can see the packing taking uh, place there. It's standing up pretty well. The reason why it's not finished is because we excavated the bathhouse, was the fact that we had to wait for the uh, the backfilling to subside. And now the idea is that um, we will lay a a surface on there which will inhibit the growth of the grass, which takes over that area so very rapidly. Thank you very much for your attention. Any questions for Dr. Allen? Alan, thanks very much for this very interesting lecture and an important addition to the understanding and the history of Jarash. (coughs) I'm wondering are there any historical records concerning the um, Islamic Umayyad or the Abbasid period at Jarash? Or have you found some epigraphic material at the site? Yes, we've, uh, well, there. From the Yale period, they found some uh, of these um, shopkeepers' records. That we have found some more of as well um, in a very good Arabic hand. Most of them are few diacritical marks, but uh, someone clearly very confident uh, with Arabic. These date mostly, I think, from the Abbasid um, period. The written sources we we have Ibn uh, Khurrajin and Al-Yaqubi. Uh, that talk about the Jun structure, and Jarash is always mentioned in, in that. Um, when you, we get to Makdisi or Mukadisi, uh, he just refers to this Jebel Jarash area, as he calls it, um, as an, uh, an area of villages. But it's very clear he never went there. Um, and there's um, reports of Shia being in, the, in this area at that time. And uh, as we know, Muqaddisi was uh, not very favorable towards the Shia. Um, so uh, there's, there's a political element in, in that as well. And that's, again, with these written sources, we have to be careful in how we use them. Because particularly with the geographical traveling uh, sources, when they've been to a place, it's firsthand. They've seen it. And, and we can be very confident then about what they see as their impressions of what they see. But if they're relying on other people telling them something, then you know it's it's problematic where the reality really lies at, at that point. But sure, I've I've looked at the sources and um, and they confirm that there's an administration there, uh, in, and we're talking about you know the Abbasid period for for that for those written sources. Thank you very much indeed, Alan. Uh, I agree with you that. Probably one of the most important things of, of uh, Yeras Mosque is the fact that, as you mentioned, that it was placed on top of the baths, not on, on top of any previous church or temple or whatsoever. Mm. And I think that this would be uh, something important to be remarking in the presentation. And I wonder if you have considered the possibility, for instance, of tracing with a different earth or m- any kind of marks just at the surface of the, of the floor, the traces of the bath so that the people will realize that what is underneath is a bath. Uh, mm, well, the bath is a very complicated structure. Um, I, I was going to leave part of it open uh, for people to see, but then I decided that was crazy, because it will fill with rubbish and be used for other purposes. So I, I decided not to do that, but to use a display. And uh, these displays that are using, used at Umal Al Jamal are really good. These low profile ones. Um, I don't know. When we tried them in Qatar, the problem was we found that dust and dirt collected on the surfaces. I don't know if you have those trouble, problems at Um Umar Jamal with uh, with the... uh, the Yeah, yeah. And then you've got to get someone to clean them, which we did. But uh, God knows what they used because everything else disappeared as well. (laughs) So I don't know if it was, you know, uh, what material they used, but that was a problem. But they certainly... um, very good because you don't really notice them until you get right up on top of them and then there it all is. So I thought that something like that and some photographs could could explain it. But it's like all of these things, you you have to keep it brief and to the point um, because people aren't going to stand there very long looking at this material. Thanks, Alan. It happened that I worked with Asim Baroth in 75 and 76. Oh, really? I didn't know that. And uh, I excavated um, an area located to the west of the site, and area D, which is very close to the Cardo. Uh, indeed, you have encountered the mosque, the Abbasid Umayyad But um, one will ask, where is the Islamic residential area or the Umayyad or Abbasid residential area in Jarash? Thank you. I hope that um I think there are multiple areas. And I hope we can uh, I- um, answer that with the new projects that sta- are being started by a former student of mine just up the hill. Because um, uh, there leads out from the mosque up to the southwest, if you can picture in your mind, up towards the, the church area of St. Peter yeah. and Paul. Oh, yeah. yeah. There's yeah. actually a major, there's a major road running up that hill. Yes, sir. Yes. And I, th- there must be a big community up there. And she's going to start working in that residential area if, if, uh, if the Department of antiquities, uh, antiquities allows it. The project, that is. You're agreeing with me? <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, I'm very pleased to, to hear that. Uh, this was up where the columns and that are still showing at Jerish. Yeah, yes yes like this crossroad mm. yeah absolutely fascinating there's really good archaeology there too because it's all covered well it's it's the only mosque that you think it's in Jarash. no I don't I think there are other ones and why do you think it's in different phases yeah, you say three mihrabs. because this it was mosque. the congregational mosque it's modelled upon the Great Mosque in Damascus. It's smaller in scale, but the, the layout is exactly the same, which became the type... The, s- the size of the mosque. It's, it's about 50, 50 meters by 48 meters. That means it's a jama, not a mosque. Yes. Yep. Yeah, well, that's a jama, yes. Mm. Thank you. I'm using the generic English term, yes. Oh, you're going to ask about this photo? This is our photo trying outreach with different members of the community. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, uh, my question is related to pottery because I'm more interested in pottery. So since you have excavated the mosque, so uh, I read too many articles that uh, archaeologists has really found difficulty to differentiate between the late Byzantine pottery and the early Umayyad pottery. So since you have found Pottery close to the pavement of this uh, mosque. Do you think now it's right to say that this type of pottery is for sure early Umayyad pottery, it's not Byzantine? This is not mostly the, all the pottery I'm showing here is Abbasid. I'm not talking about this. Ah. Well, if you uh, talk with Pam Watson uh, as well as me uh, down at Tabakat uh, Fahel, that sequence is beautifully worked out by Pam, not by me, of course. Um, and uh, we certainly know for there. But at Jerash, up on the in the mountains, the sequence is different. And this has been very confusing. Because people expect, OK, if you've got a tapakat file this sequence, then I should find it over the rest of Jordan. But this is not true. Particularly in the seventh century, pottery styles are very regional, very very much localized. So you actually have to build a pottery sequence for each area. So I did a little work in the south of Jordan uh, at a site called Randal, and we worked out a pottery sequence there as well. I'm going to be thrown off. So you have to look at each region in its own and find a few keys that cross regions, such as these red wares, the red painted wares. And if you get a bit of glazed pottery, you're really lucky, because then you know you're in Abbasid period. Thank you very much. Thank Thank you.